Hello, and welcome to Cherry Beckert's Technology Podcast. I'm Megan Hutchinson, a tax partner in Cherry Beckert's Technology Group. And here today we have Lauren Stinson and Don King from our sales and use tax practice. Lauren, Don, welcome. Could each of you start by introducing yourselves to our audience? Yeah, good morning, everyone. I'm Lauren Stinson, and I am a, a tax partner in our SALT group, and I lead our sales and use tax practice. Hi, and I'm Don King. I'm uh, indirect tax director, and I am located in Nashville office. And I recently joined uh, Cherry Beckert about three months ago, and uh, spent the last 11 years in technology. Awesome. Well, great. Well, today we will be talking about what you in the technology space could be missing with your sales and use taxes. So let's get into today's discussion. Lauren. Can you start by setting the stage a bit and give us a little bit of overview of the issues that you see technology companies facing when it comes to sales and use tax? Sure. So, you know, at this point, we're in 2022 and we are four years into, um, you know, four years after the Wayfair decision, which if you're not familiar with Wayfair, uh, Wayfair was a Supreme Court decision that allowed states to impose sales tax obligations on companies, not only if they had a physical presence in the state, but the new um, the new aspect is if they had an economic nexus, e- economic nexus or economic presence in the state. And what that means is that if a company sells enough into a state, and every state defines enough a little bit different, they have they could have sales tax obligations. So the Wayfair decision was in 2018. We're now four years into it. And what we have seen is that a lot of technology companies have, you know, they've come to realize that Wayfair exists, but they may not actually be doing anything about it. You know, they've been very focused on growing fast, um, you know, really building their building their company and, you know, leaving some of the issues, including sales tax to the side. So, you know, very focused on growth over over profitability. Um, but now we're starting to see technology companies really, you know, looking at their sales tax obligations, especially in the context of a transaction where you know, they're going through due diligence or they're getting ready for a transaction. And, you know, this um, you know, sales tax is starting to come to light. So that's where we're seeing a lot of tech companies, you know, really facing, you know, facing their sales tax obligations for the first time. Yeah, I think um, a lot of technology companies have come to the realization that they can't have their head in the sand much longer, um, and they're finally starting to get around to looking at this. So, Don, when when your company is ready to tackle these issues, where should they start? Well, as Lauren mentioned about Nexus, that's the one of the first places you have to start. You have to determine whether or not you have a filing responsibility with the state and uh yeah give you a little background uh back in 92 there's a quill decision that basically identified that physical presence causes nexus that means if you have property in a in a state an employee in a state you drive your own trucks in the state so forth that would end up causing physical presence and with that state you would be required to re, uh, register collect and remit sales tax on items that were taxable in that state and Wayfair, as Lauren mentioned, four years ago in 2018, that case came out and the U.S. Supreme Court determined that uh, physical presence still exists, but they expanded it to include economic presence. 
So a lot of states went ahead and grabbed hold of that, and they set thresholds. Um, some of the states have a threshold of $100,000 per sales in a year, or potentially 200 transactions that would cause you to have economic presence or nexus with that state, and then you would have to register and collect. Some states, like the larger states, California, New York, might have higher thresholds, maybe 500,000, but each state has put in their thresholds for determined economic presence. You know, the thing you have to look at is your sales, as you're expanding your, your, your sales in all these different states, you could generate nexus and the states are getting aggressive and they're coming after companies, you know, trying to get them to register and collect tax. The state would rather collect it from one company than try to collect the tax from thousands of customers. So they focus in on the company to get them registered and, and uh, collect and remit and take it all in one shot. You know, the other thing you have to keep an eye out for this uh, trend right now is we have remote workers. So now all of a sudden you have employees located in different states and that could cause you nexus as well. And that's on the physical side of it because now you have you know an employee in a state. So as you go through that, you, you have to determine where do you have a filing responsibility and, and what should you do in that situation? And how long does that filing responsibility exist? How far back does it go? Did you have nexus three years ago because of economic presence or even four with Wayfair? You know, or did you just start getting nexus? So you need to review those thoroughly and, and make sure you understand what you have. And I think it's really important to know, and this is where a lot of um, a lot of people get confused, is that physical nexus will always trump economic nexus. So if you have physical nexus, meaning you have an employee in the state, even if you don't um, have economic nexus, you will still have sales tax obligations because you have that physical presence. So just remember physical presence, you know, even though even though Wayfair happened, physical presence is still you know, the number one rule of the land. Yeah, it did not disappear. It's still there. <laughs> yeah, um, that's super helpful. I think a lot of times um, where technology companies kind of kind of get their brains confused about sales tax and what they're selling is, you know, with sales tax, you often think of a tangible good, right? Um, and a lot of technology companies are not selling a tangible good. Um, so, you know, how do you determine which products are subject to tax and in which state when you're when you're talking about a technology company? What are those special issues that they should be considering? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Megan. And that's something that we spend a lot of time helping, you know, technology companies um, you know, trying to trying to define exactly what they're selling. Um, you know, just the sheer you know sheer growth of what companies sell. You know, these products these products and services you know didn't exist five years, ten years ago. And just trying to get our arms around you know what exactly they're selling and fitting it into uh, tax law that is probably five or 10 years old that doesn't even come close to defining, you know, what, you know, how to, how to match that, you know, old tax law to new products and services. So that's really the challenge. So we spend a lot of time, you know, reviewing contracts under, you know, we have to get to a very granular level of what exactly that product does, um, you know, how, you know, how it's delivered. So there's, you know, different tax laws for, electronically delivered software or you know, software as a service. There's different um, tax applications if there's a license or a software. Um, 
you know, just so many different things to consider when you start talking about technology products and services that that is, you know, that is the one of the biggest challenges. It's kind of like fitting a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, I think um, one of the items that you give you an example, um, you could end up having a book, a digitally delivered book, and that book is considered digital products and a lot of states tax digital products and they treat it differently than software. And I was explaining to Lauren the other day that a digital book could become software, which could be the difference in taxability. And the, the difference between that is if you think of a digital book, you can click on a button and it goes to the page you're looking for, or you can save where you're at and click to that. And that's that's nothing really important. And there's no interaction that occurs there. It just takes you there. And that's considered a digital book. But if you have the ability to take that book and based on different criteria, change the story of the book, now all of a sudden that becomes software. You know, a video game would be a perfect example of that. You have the ability to change the outcome of a video game. They're, you're interactive and everything. So you have different rules as simple as that. You have different rules between a digital book that you can't change the story and one that you can. And that changes the taxability in different states depends on their tax rules. And the biggest and another big issue is that every state has different laws. So you know, not only are you trying to figure it out, figure out the characterization and taxability in one state, you actually have to figure it out in all 50 states. Yeah, another item that's very important to keep in mind is there's also a difference between streaming and downloading. Um, that could change the taxability of you know, what you sell as well. Um, you know, if you have a subscription, it, it may be different than the sell of a software or sell of a product. So what you're saying is this is a very complex matter. <laughs> Every company is going to be a little bit different depending on the, the service or the product that they're actually providing um, and then needing to look at every state's um, approach to that. I think a big challenge um, that companies are facing is, you know, how to how to source this. How how do they determine um, how to source their revenue to whatever state and looking at their 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 particular um, taxabilities? So, Don, can you how are they able to determine this from a sourcing perspective? Yeah, that's always a challenge um, when you look at sourcing. Um, especially on digital when you look at a source of physical products you source it based on generally based on where it's shipped to you have different rules what might include where you ship from but where you ship the product to you know exactly where you're shipping it to you have the address of the customer you deliver it to them and generally that's the rule of thumb for tangible personal property but when you're looking at digital uh, it gets a little bit more complex because you, you you have a customer out there that you know may not you may not know where they're physically located at and so the general rule of thumb is the the address of the customer is supposed to be the rule of thumb for uh, where you source it at. Some states are getting aggressive and trying to say, well, wait a second, um, it, it could be IP address um, or it could be your billing address, you know, trying to show that, you know, maybe they're not physically located where they say they're located at. So how do you determine where they truly are located at? You know, the other part of it is, you know, you are located in a state and you're delivering to another state. Um, where's that benefit of that service or that you know, software or whatever? Where's the benefit of that current? You know, if you think of SaaS, SaaS could be located on a computer in one state and then you have a customer in another state. 
one state may try to save the benefit of services being received in their state and that's where it should be sourced to while another state that says no wait a second that software is here we want to pick up that you know use of that software here um there's items out there called like uh, mpu which is multiple points of usage um that is very handy for companies when they end up having um, employees located throughout the United States, they end up buying software. Generally, they're going to be billed based on their headquarters or where there's, you know, the account is located at. But their their employees that are using it are located throughout the United States. So some states allow an MPU exemption where the the company can actually buy the items tax exempt, buy the software tax exempt, and then determine where their locations are at, you know, their employees based on users. And then they can allocate that and then say, okay, I'm gonna source these transactions to my home state because 75% of that is here and 25% is another state. Um, so there's a variety of ways of you know handling on the sourcing. Um yeah, it's 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 really a challenge, especially with digital, where he, how do you prove where someone's at? And that's a that's a major challenge for companies. And and just you know, to add to that a little bit, especially when you're selling over the internet direct to consumer and you've got a shopping cart that is you know driving the tax function a lot of companies we're seeing are they're not even collecting um a a proper zip code to be able to sort to be able to pull the right sales tax rate so a good example is you know i i live in one zip code it's three zero 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 five well our office is you know, a mile and a half down the road, same zip code, but we are in two different taxing jurisdictions. So, you know, if I'm buying something over the internet, they don't know, you know, the the technology doesn't know what rate to charge me because it could be, you know, one of a multiple multiple rates. So, you know, just even getting the information that's needed to properly pull the right sales tax rate is a big challenge that we're seeing. And you know that also impacts a variety of things. And you know, as myself as an ex-auditor, when I started my career, I've been a consultant. I've also been in the uh, uh, corporate world, uh, especially the last eleven years in tech. But if if you have the wrong address, or, or if you can't get the right tax ability or tax rate for the customer, because you don't have the right location where the customer is located at, you have two things that occur. One thing is future audits, you could be dealing with auditors that are going to assess you. Um, Colorado is a perfect example, some local jurisdictions. If you don't have address, they try to grab everything within the zip code and pull that into the, even though it might be cross-border into another city. And that other city being mile is doing the same thing. And all of a sudden you potentially have tax liability in two states and uh, two cities, and you can't prove where they're at because you don't have that address. So that address is very, very important. The other thing is customers. You basically, if you charge a customer a tax, yeah, if you overcharge them, you know, more than likely you're going to get a call from them. They're going to be complaining. You have to deal with that. Your consumer services group is going to have to have handle that call. If you're undercharging them, they probably aren't going to call you up. But you know what? That auditor is the one that's going to end up, you know, addressing that for you. So we, right. we didn't even hit the tip of the iceberg, um, <laughs> but you can quickly see how complicated sales tax um, is for technology companies. Yes, I was just about to say, I feel like we have just scratched the surface. Um, Lauren, Don, thank you both uh, for joining us on the podcast today. 
like I said, we've just scratched the surface. So I look forward to having some more discussions with you about how the Cherry Beckert Sales and Use team um, can help keep the industry, uh, the tech industry in compliance. So thanks for being here. And thanks you all for to you all for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Megan.